Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this, the first bonus episode of the What the Niche podcast with me, your host, Andrew Morris. In this episode, I'm presenting to you one of my guest's work. He put together his very first self-narrated short story, and I'm providing a platform for him to share this amazing work. The author and narrator's name is Eric Chavez. The story is called The Cat and the Hummingbird, and I hope everyone in the What the Niche audience enjoys this fantastic piece. It was about two months ago when our drummer for our band Shaping Delusions quit a couple of hours before our gig, all thanks to his unhealthy relationship with his girlfriend, Renee. We were unloading the van and talking crap to each other like we always do. She started to pout and cry because Jean was not giving her the attention she endlessly wanted. They began to argue, creating an uncomfortable scene in front of everyone within earshot. I had continued to unload the gear from the van while I kept my eyes and ears open to their absurd argument. You're an asshole. You do not care about me. All you care about is this ridiculous band, said Renee while placing a hand on her hip and giving Jean the evil eye. That is not true, babe. I do care about you, but right now I have to help the guys unload the equipment and afterwards we can have a drink at the bar and just hang out said Jean with a calm voice. He tried hard to de-escalate the argument, but failed to do so. The scene reminded me of a time I had to wrestle Jean down to the ground for getting physical with Renee. Kate, Jean, Renee, and I were at one evening strolling the town. We stopped at a couple bars to have some drinks. Our fun night went sour quickly when a good-looking fellow accidentally bumped into Renee while she was talking to Jean. Renee realized that the guy used to be her next-door neighbor when she lived in California while attending college. They began to converse, but she failed to introduce Jean, which made him feel neglected and cast aside. I remember noticing Jean becoming impatient with the situation. After five minutes of him being ignored, he finished the remaining beer from his glass and grabbed Renee by the arm and began to pull her out the bar. She staggered and fell to the ground, and Jean did not bother to stop and began dragging her. The good-looking fellow tried to go after Jean, but I was way ahead of him. Jean had managed to drag and pull Renee out to the sidewalk, and as soon as I stepped outside, I saw him deliver Renee a hefty slap on her pretty face. Without hesitation, I jumped on Jean, knocking him to the concrete. We began to scuffle. He managed to land a couple of punches, and so did I. Finally, I managed to control him with some basic jujitsu techniques. Someone ended up calling the police, and Jean was taken to jail that night for assault. But Renee did not press any charges against him because she felt it was her fault that Jean acted the way he did. A few days after the incident, I went over to Jean's apartment to have a talk with him. He apologized to me with the utmost sincerity. He cried and begged for my forgiveness, just like he did with Renee. Of course, I did forgive him, but I gave him a stern warning that if he ever put his hands on Renee again, I would break his arms and legs and burn all his drums. Over time, their relationship became unhealthy. 
They would cheat, spelt hateful things at each other, and they refused to call it quits. But Jean never laid another finger on Renee. As I continued to unload the equipment out of the van, I wanted to jump in and tell them both to grow up. But I refrained from doing so. It would have made the situation worse. I knew that eventually the argument would end like always, and their unhealthy relationship would just go back to normal. I began hauling out the heavy base cabinet and noticed a tall, lanky guy watching us from across the parking lot. I squinted hard to see who it was. The sun shined brightly on my eyes, making it difficult for me to see the guy's face. I placed one hand over my forehead to block the sun, and I recognized a guy I have seen many times at our shows. Dude, there's that weird guy that is always at our shows. I said to Abe, our singer, who also plays bass. I nodded my head in the direction of the tall, lanky guy. Abe looked through his dark sunglasses, which he always wears regardless of the time of day. It is his trademark. Yeah, man, he's a weirdo, said Abe. It's kind of creepy, don't you think? I asked Abe as I waved to the tall, lanky guy. He responded with a lazy, half-staffed wave. A cloud of smoke left his mouth as he retracted the cigarette. I'm happy with any fan we can get, even if it is the weird ones. Come on, let's finish unloading this shit so we can grab some beers. Said Abe with a grunt as he picked up my heavy 212 tube amp by the handle. After unloading all the equipment from our van, without the help of Gene because he had disappeared with Renee somewhere to argue more or to have makeup sex. Abe, Kate, and I sat at the bar and watched the people trickle in through the front door of the venue. I took a drink from my cold craft beer and noticed the tall lanky guy walk in. He moved very stiffly, arms pinned to his side, his head slightly forward, his knees bent a little and he will look around without moving his head. His eyes shifted side to side like a cat does when a toy is being dangled in front of it. Then, with a robotic turn of his head towards our direction, his eyes began scanning the room like the T-1000 from Terminator. He was looking for someone to decimate. He was looking for John Connor. He was out to stop the hero of mankind. Or so I imagined. His cold eyes found mine and he turned the rest of his body in the direction of his head and began to make his way towards us. Hey guys. Guys! I said while nudging Kate on her arm. Kate is my girlfriend. The mother of my child. The rhythm guitar player and the keyboardist for the band. Ow! You're hurting my arm with your bony elbow! What is it? Asked Kate as she rubbed her small arm and gave me a look of annoyance. That weird dude that is always at our shows is coming over here. I said with a semi-loud whisper while hunched down like a kid telling his secret during lunchtime at school. Maybe he wants your autograph. Said Abe as he raised his hand to get the bartender's attention. No, seriously guys. He's coming this way. I quickly looked away and hoped that he did not see me watching him. The tall lanky guy reached us, but walked by ever so slowly. As he walked by, I got a whiff of Petrachor. Musky, fresh, yet pleasant. He sat at the other end of the wooden top the bar. He ordered himself a dark beer. As he drank, he gawked forward. The sunlight that penetrated the windows, which sat above the wall of bottles, cascaded upon him, giving him an angelic look. His dark hair shined and glistened, 
With the natural light on him, I can see his face clearly for the first time. It was a handsome face, clean shaved, no scars, no stubble, a strong chin and very captivating hazel eyes. The sunlight fought to peer through his dark beard as he took a drink, but the darkness of the beer made the light its hostage. I placed my attention back to the door after surveying the tall lanky guy, and I saw Gene walk in. He looked pathetic, like he just lost a battle of some sort. He tried to look at us, but every time he did, he would look down. I once again nudged Kate, but was cautious of her small arm. Hey guys! Guys, here comes Gene. It does not look good. I said out the side of my mouth, but keeping my attention on Gene. What up, Gene? Asked Abe as he leaned over Kate. Where's Renee? Gene did not respond. He just gave us a fake smile with his eyes constantly looking away. Fake smiles with no eye contact are never good signs. It usually means that the person is not happy or has something to say that would either ruin your life or your day. Either way, it was a fake smile. Is everything good? Where's Renee? Asked Kate with concern. Um, Gene hesitated. Um, yeah, here's the thing. Gene rubbed the back of his head nervously. Here's the thing. Tell us the fucking thing, would you? Abe shouted impatiently. Abe was not the biggest fan of Gene after learning what had happened between him and Renee. Abe was not in our lives then. He joined the band after our former lead singer left the country to teach abroad with his wife. Gene opened his mouth, and the next words that came out are not what any band wants to hear right before a gig. I... Um... I quit the band. Gene's eyes widened as he looked at us with uncertainty. What the fuck do you mean you quit the band? We yelled in unison. Is this because of that bitch Renee? Please tell me it's not because of her, said Abe as he stood up rapidly, pushing the stool from underneath him. He rushed over to Gene and placed his face five inches from Gene's. He even took his sunglasses off so Gene could see the anger in his eyes. Dude, back up! Gene gently pushed Abe back. I just don't think I can do this band thing anymore. I have a lot of stuff going on that you guys do not know about, and I need to focus on that right now. I'm sorry, but I quit. I saw this coming. I was not surprised, and neither was Kate. But to quit before a gig is taboo in the music world, especially if you're the backbone of the band. Now, if a guitar player or bass player drops out before a gig, fine, you can somewhat manage around it. But if a singer or drummer drops out, you are screwed. I'm going to get my gear, and I'm going to take it in Renee's car. Sorry guys, really I am, said Gene. The fuck you are. Get your shit and get out of here. Don't show your dumb face around here or the practice spot again. A placed his sunglasses back on his face and walked past Gene giving him a bump with his shoulder. Gene watched A walk out the venue and shifted his attention back to Kate and me. It's best you go, Gene. We will talk later about this. Right now we must figure out how we're going to repay back the people who came to see us play. I said as I finished my craft beer. Kate and I got up from the bar and headed for the door to regroup with Abe. At that very moment, the first band began to play. As I stepped outside, the night had started to take over the blue sky. The sun was peering over the buildings as it began to set. People were standing around, conversing amongst each other, and smoking their hipster cigarettes. 
Abe was pacing back and forth with his hands interlocked behind his head. Kate and I walked over to him to talk about our current situation. Are you alright, man? I asked. What do you think? Asked Abe sarcastically. We need to figure out how we're going to repay back the people since we're no longer playing tonight, said Kate. Don't you think I know that already, dumbass? Said Abe with an angry tone. Hey man, take it easy. She didn't cause this problem, I said. Sorry, I'm just pissed about all this. What a joke Gene is. Forget him and his crybaby girlfriend. Abe, Kate, and I began to talk amongst ourselves when we saw Gene and Renee drive by. And they both looked miserable. Abe yelled out obscene words and flipped them both the bird. And at that moment, I saw the tall, lanky guy watching us from the front of the building with his cigarette hanging from his mouth. Once he noticed that I saw him, he started to make his way towards us. I was in no mood to deal with his weird character. As we continued our conversation, I kept my eye on the tall, lanky guy. At the same time, I was trying to keep my attention on our conversation, but I could not. I was too weirded out by the shitty character approaching us. Finally, he managed to reach his destination, which was right next to me. Once again, I smelled his petrichor odor, but with a hint of tobacco. The tall, lanky guy spoke. I see you need a drummer. I can play for you guys tonight, he said with a gentle, soothing voice. I know all your songs, even the ones from your first demo. I am a big fan. He took a drag from his cigarette and respectfully blew the smoke away from us. All three of us looked at each other with confusion. I started to speak, but the tall, lanky guy beat me to it. I can go get my drums really quick. I don't live far from here. They are rad, custom made. The tall, lanky guy gave us one big smile. It was an unsettling smile. It reminded me of Nicolas Cage's creepy smile. Bullshit. You don't know how to play the drums or the songs, said Abe with an undertone. Gene is, was, a great drummer. Not everyone can play like him. The dude majored in percussion, did you? No, but- Then forget about it and quit wasting our time. Abe rudely interrupted the poor tall lanky guy and waved him away. The tall lanky guy pulled out his beat up smartphone with an excitement. He reminded me of an innocent little child wanting to show their parents a new magic trick they learned. Look, I can prove it. Just watch, man. Just watch. The tall lanky guy started swiping through his gallery and stopped at a video of him sitting behind the drums, and he tapped play. I started to hear my guitar intro for our song Among the Fallen, and then the drums kicked in. I leaned in closer for a better look. The cracked screen of his phone made it hard to see, but it was him beating away at the skins. Damn dude, you weren't lying. I praised him by giving him a couple of pats on his shoulder, and again, the earthly smell invaded my nostrils. But this is just one song. Do you have more? I asked. The tall lanky guy swiped through his gallery once again and stopped at another video of him playing the drums. After three songs, Kate and I were convinced that he was capable of getting us out of the mess created by Gene. Abe did not seem so keen to it. We pulled Abe to the side so we can discuss about letting him play with us. Eventually, we convinced Abe to let the tall lanky guy play the gig. Abe was not 100% into the idea, but he knew it was better than having to tell the ticket holders who went to see us perform that we were not playing and that their money would be refunded when possible. And he knew if we bailed on the venue on a very short notice, they would not book us again. Alright dude, go get your shit, said Abe to the tall lanky guy. 
We go on in an hour. Seriously? Said the tall, lanky guy midway of lighting yet another cigarette. Yeah, hurry up, said Kate. The tall, lanky guy took off running. He had a weird run. It reminded me of a flamingo running through the shallow waters of a crocodile-infested pond. We watched him hop into his jalopy and take off into the night, and we waited for his return. Thirty minutes went by, and we heard screeching tires in the distance. It was the tall, lanky guy in his dilapidated car. Everyone who was outside, not watching the mediocre band play, shifted their attention towards the sound of the screeching tires. The tall, lanky guy pulled up into the parking lot, almost taking out a light post. He jumped out of the car and waved us over. The three of us hesitated to walk over to help him unload his drums. We slowly made our way to him. A purposely fell behind. Kate and I held hands, but she hugged my arm as she liked to do. The streetlights casted shadows behind us. The lights of the surrounding buildings of her beloved city lit up the streets. The breeze of the evening blew gently and carried a smell of food from nearby restaurants. The muffled sounds of cheering, applause, and whistling made its way out of the venue as the band finished her set, giving me an indication that we were next to go on. I started to panic a little and began to jog towards the tall, lanky guy letting go of Kate's hand. All four of us unloaded the drums from the car in a hurry. We needed to get in there and set up our equipment so we can begin our sound check. Logo bands usually had very little time to run their set and get levels before their time on stage. The touring or signed bands were usually given the opportunity to perform sound tests and such before the show ever began, so they can have as much time to perform as possible. Therefore, it was crucial we completed a quick assembly of our gear. I picked up the snare drum from the floorboard of the passenger side, and I got a glimpse of a very interesting drawing on it before the tall, lanky guy snatched it from my hands. I stood there with my hands open like Jesus giving a sermon. I shrugged my shoulders and continued to help unload the drums. Hey guys, please be careful with the drums. I really care about them. They are everything I have. I worked extremely hard to put this set together. These are one of a kind, said the tall, lanky guy graciously as he disappeared into the venue. We all quickly worked together on setting up our equipment. I got on my microphone to do a quick check on the volume. I looked outward to the crowd, but the brightness of the spotlight blinded me, and all I could see were faces blobs spattered throughout the venue like menacing polka dots. I quickly looked away, closing my eyes tightly to try and regain my vision. I looked outward again to the crowd, squinting my eyes, and I saw Gene through the red spots caused by the spotlight. I thought it was weird that he came back to watch a band he had quit a couple of hours before. I did not see Renee with him, which had immediately concerned me. I walked over to Kate. Hey babe, without looking, Gene is over by the bathrooms and I do not see Renee with him. Please send a text and make sure she is okay. I said to Kate as I helped her put on her guitar. You don't think he did it again, do you? Asked Kate while plugging in her guitar cable to her amp, making it a crackling sound. I really hope he didn't. Just send the text and let me know if she replies. Kate turned her back to the crowd, pulled out her phone, and tapped away with her thumbs. After sound check, we all huddled together one last time before playing and went over the set list. We'd made sure that the tall, lanky guy knew the songs and the order we had outlined for the set list. We all put our trust into this somewhat stranger but we were extremely grateful for his help. We all hoped that he wasn't going to butcher out the songs that we put a lot of work into. We hoped that everything would go smoothly.
Once our quick meeting was over, we all went to our instruments and signaled to the sound guy that we were ready to start. The lights in the venue dimmed down, the faces in the crowd slowly started to fade, and the faces in the back had vanished into the darkness. There was a moment of silence before the sound of my finger rubbing on the low E string echoed through the purposely dimmed room. And then, I pressed my fingers down on the fretboard, creating the shape of a barred G chord, and struck the first note of the first song, and then we took off. The lights of the venue lit up the stage and the room again, and I could see all the strange and familiar faces. We played with passion, we played on time, we played with joy. The tall Nike guy played every song perfectly, so perfect that it gave me chills. Every note, every hit was dead on. He made us sound better than we ever had before. He no longer was the guy who walked into the venue with his arms pinned to his side. His arms moved freely as he struck his drums and cymbals. He played with his eyes closed to feel the beauty of music. He was in his ecstasy. The crowd was energetic that night. Abe sounded amazing. Kate looked more beautiful than ever under the blue and purple stage lights. And I felt invincible. Our 30 minute set list felt like 5 minutes to me. I felt like everything happened in the blink of an eye. When I am on stage, I do not pay attention to what is going on around me. I just get lost up there. It is the best feeling in the whole world. Losing yourself in something you have created out of nothing is a powerful feeling. I felt it that night alongside with everyone else on stage. The tall lanky guy showed us he has as much love for music as we do. I wanted him in the band. If this were an audition, he would have gotten my vote. After we finished playing, we began to break down our equipment. But I noticed that the tall lanky guy was still sitting behind his drums, just staring into oblivion. He was covered in sweat, his hair clung to the sides of his face. I walked over to him and waved my hand in front of his face. I did not get any reaction from him. I did it again, and still nothing. I shook him a little, and finally he broke from his trance. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, he said with a little chuckle. I got lost for a minute. I have not felt this alive in a long time. It was awesome. Thank you for the opportunity. The tall lanky guy and I began to break down his drums, and then I heard a drunk Gene behind me. That was a good set. Too bad your drummer sucks, said Gene with slurry words. Come on man, not now. You need to go. I said while I tried to walk Gene off the stage. Get your fucking hands off of me. I'm just fooling around, man. Gene staggered over to the tall lanky guy's drums and started to run his fingers on the rim of one of the toms. He would stop for a moment to look at his possible replacement and then continue to caress the hardware of the toms with his fingers. He then walked over to one of the crash cymbals and gave it a spin. Please do not touch my drums, said the tall lanky guy politely. Gene stopped the spinning crash cymbal and slightly moved towards the tall lanky guy. They locked eyes for a few seconds before Gene gave him a smirk and began knocking over his cymbals. Get your fucking hands off my drums! Do not touch anything! The tall lanky guy yelled with such force that the white of his eyes turned red. 
The veins on his forehead poked fiercely from underneath his skin and saliva spewed over his bottom lip. Gene kicked a kick drum creating a hole. Abe rushed over to the mess that was unfolding before our eyes. I lunged myself at Gene but missed as he moved out of the way. I fell face first onto Kate's keyboard. The tall lanky guy was too worried about protecting his drums to concern himself with anything else. Gene picked up the drum throne and threw it at Abe, striking him on the head. Abe fell backwards and off the stage, landing on the hard floor, breaking his arm. The few people that were close to the stage stared intently as they watched the downfall of a band, and in turn, reacted too slow to catch Abe. Kate and I jumped down to him and noticed that he was knocked out due to the blow he took to the head. Two buff security guys jumped on the stage and manhandled Gene, who stood no chance as he tried to fight his way out of a bear hug. One security guard carried him towards the door and threw him out the venue, and the other rushed over to where Kate and I were. Once Abe came back to us, Kate sat with him in our van waiting for the ambulance to arrive. I was outside arguing with the security guard about why he let Gene go after he assaulted Abe. The gigantic, dim-witted security guard said very little to me, which made my blood boil. But I was smart enough not to try anything with him. He would have beaten the hell out of me. After arguing with the security guard, I walked over to the tall lanky guy who had finished loading his drums into his rundown car. Hey, thank you so much for what you did tonight. You sounded flawless and your drumming is incredible. And I'm sorry for what that asshole did. I said with my hand out. The tall lanky guy shook my hand with a semi-firm grip. His hand felt strong and calloused, which caught me by surprise. I was expecting his hand to feel soft and weak. It's no problem at all. I will never forget this night. I mean, you guys are one of my favorite bands. And I am just happy that I got a chance to play with you guys. The tall lanky guy gave me a subtle smile. And I want to apologize for the way I acted when your friend touched my drums. I only flipped out because those drums are my world. And I cherished them deeply. It's cool, man. You do not have to be sorry. I totally understand. Hey, what is your name, by the way? I asked. The tall lanky guy pulled out his phone with urgency. Holy hell. I did not know it was this late. Sorry, but I need to go. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. The tall lanky guy quickly ran to his car and peeled out of the parking lot again. I stood there slightly confused, but with a great feeling of gratitude. In the distance, I could hear the mixed sirens of an ambulance and two cop cars tearing through the night as their haunting screams reverberated off the buildings. I kept my eye out for them so I could wave them down. Once they arrived at the venue, the lights of the ambulance flooded the dark parking lot with red, and something on the ground caught my eye. It glimmered in the sea of blue and red lights. I tilted my head slightly to the right and squinted my eyes to try to make out what it was. I started to walk towards the object on the ground when I heard Kate call for me. Her sweet little voice pierced the cool autumn air. I quickly snapped my head towards her and gave her the wait-a-minute gesture with my pointer finger. I shifted my focus back to the mysterious object, but lost it for a brief second in the darkness. The red and blue lights once again made the object glimmer. I walked towards it, and upon arriving I bent down to pick it up. I learned that it was an earring with a small black cat inside a glass sphere. I had seen it before, but I could not think of where. My brain fought hard to try and place the earring in my memories. I covered my ears, closed my eyes, and tried to block out the commotion that surrounded me. The night felt silent momentarily, 
And finally, it hit me. The earring belonged to Renee. I saw her wearing it when she was arguing with Jean when we were unloading the van. I remember the sun bouncing off of it as it dangled from her earlobe when she was giving Jean hell for not giving her the attention she wanted. I placed the earring in the pocket of my flannel shirt and made my way to Kate and Abe who were being attended by an EMT. Do you know the name of the one who assaulted your friend? Asked one of the officers. Yes, we do. His name is Gene Howard. I answered with a bit of disappointment. I felt disappointed that a good friend of mine was in trouble by his own actions, and I felt like I should have been a better friend to help him with whatever issues he had going on in his life. The officer jotted notes down on his little notepad. He gave us the occasional, I see, or oh really, as we explained the whole situation that happened that night. He asked me if I wanted to press any charges, and I told him no. But I knew Abe was going to be the one to press charges against Gene. He did not like Gene much, and this was icing on the cake for him. Well, alrighty. Well, I guess the only thing I can do now is see if this place has any surveillance footage we can review, and then we will head over to your friend's house to see if he's home. If he is at home, he will be arrested and taken to jail. If you guys have any concerns or questions, the officer reached into his tight-fitted shirt breast pocket and pulled out a small white card. Please do not hesitate to call me or my partner. He handed me his card with the tips of his middle and pointer finger. Once the card was in my possession, I reviewed it and stuffed it into my wallet. Thank you, Officer Burns, I said. Abe was taken away in the ambulance, and Kate and I packed up the van and headed home. We both just wanted to get home and relax with a couple of drinks after the night's events. The ride home was quiet because we both were exhausted from all the melodrama which unfolded that night. The silence was broken by a high-pitched bell and a sound of vibration. Kate retrieved her phone from her back pocket. The blue light of her phone lit up the dark van and her face as she read the text. Oh my god, said Kate. What? What is it now? I asked with concern. She is okay. Renee is okay. Kate put away her phone and exhaled a long breath, telling me that she was no longer worried about her friend. Thank God. I forgot all about you texting her. I am glad she is okay, I said. Kate's phone went off again, and it was Renee once more. They texted the rest of the drive home. Kate explained to Renee what happened at the venue, and during their conversation, Renee told Kate that the police showed up at their apartment. But Jean was at his parents'. Renee then told Kate that she received a text from Jean's mother blaming her for her son's arrest. Kate and I arrived at our cozy home located in a small community of young and old folks. We went inside, relieved the babysitter, gave our tiny bundle of joy a kiss goodnight, and made ourselves a bourbon with ginger ale. We sipped it quietly on our back patio. Kate was nestled in my arm, and I held her tight as we both stared at the bright moon lingering above the massive oak tree. The high-pitched bell sounded once more. Kate ignored it and continued to sip her drink as she found comfort in my arms. Two days after the incident with Jean at her show, he was released from jail. I wanted to call him, but I decided that it was best not to. I had my own family to worry about. I did not have time to focus my attention on something that he can control by seeking help from a professional or his family. I just made peace with it and continued living my life.
A week went by, and Abe was doing fine. Kate was still her wonderful self, and I was back to my normal routine. Not much changed, until I received a call from Jean who told me that Renee had been missing for two days and that no one has seen or heard from her. Jean sounded distraught, but I would be too if Kate had been missing. I told Jean that we would do anything to help with locating Renee. Another two weeks went by, and there was still no word on Renee. One more week went by, and still no word. The police had begun to suspect Jean for Renee's disappearance. They learned that he had an arrest record for assaulting Renee, and that they would argue constantly, thanks to many eyewitness accounts. His behavior at the bar and at our show did not help him at all in this situation. So, of course, they are going to throw the idea around that Jean may have murdered Renee. And I started to think the same about my friend. Two days later, I was sitting at the kitchen table eating my breakfast when I heard Kate call for me from the laundry room. Babe, can you come here, please? I walked over to the laundry room with a bowl of cereal in one hand, but kept spooning mouthfuls of cereal as I walked. What's going on? I asked as I leaned on the doorway of the laundry room with milk dripping onto my beard. I noticed Kate was leaning against the washer with her arms crossed with a look of confusion. Is everything okay? I asked. Would you care to explain? Asked Kate as she revealed Renee's earring. She dangled her earring gently between her thumb and pointer finger. The sun once again bounced off the glass sphere, painting a curved rainbow on the wall next to me. Where did you find that? I asked with a mouthful of cereal and milk. It was stuck in the washer. Whose earring is this? It sure as hell is not mine, said Kate with a little animosity. I found it in the parking lot of the venue of our last show we played. I think it belongs to Renee. I put it in the pocket of my shirt before heading over to UNA when the ambulance arrived. Why do you think this is Renee's? Asked Kate with a gentle shake of her head and one eyebrow slightly raised. Because I faintly remember her wearing them that day. I remember seeing it dangle around when her and Jean were arguing. And then I found it where the tall... I paused for a moment. Where the tall lanky guy was parked. I said as I finished off my bowl of honey bunches of oats. If it is Renee's earring, let's give it back to her family or someone. Maybe they have the other one. They should have it, not us. Said Kate as she pocketed the earring and continued with the laundry. Are you okay? I asked as I rubbed her slender shoulders to try to comfort her. Yeah, I'm just worried about her. Even though she could be a nuisance with her jealousy, I really hope she is okay and nothing happened to her said Kate with a sadness. I'm sure she is. My phone interrupted my words with its marimba melody. I walked over to retrieve it and noticed that Abe was calling me. I answered. Hey man. Dude, did you hear? Hear what? I asked. They found Renee's body, said Abe. Wait, what? Are you serious? Yeah, they found her body under an overpass near the waterfront, said Abe with a shaky voice. Abe went on to explain to me the disturbing details of the discovery of Renee's body. She was found with no skin. Every limb was attached, but her skin was completely removed with precision. They found a hole the size of a golf ball in the back of her head, but there was no brain inside her cranium. She was dumped 
like a piece of rotten meat wrapped in cellophane left to be eaten by rats. A creepy smile was drawn on the cellophane where her face once was. I could not believe what I was hearing. I could not keep my composure and ended up vomiting my cereal into the kitchen sink. Kate was crying into her soft hands and hyperventilating. I tried to calm her down, but she kept pushing me away telling me she did not want to be touched. Abe said that Gene was nowhere to be found and that the police were on the hunt for him. Abe knew all these details because his older brother had connections in the police department. I could not believe Gene would do something so monstrous. But then given all the signs of him having a bad temper and being a controlling person, he didn't have to be a member of Law & Order to assume Gene likely did this to Renee. Once I gathered myself emotionally and physically, I got on my phone to see if there was any news coverage on this matter. I am not the type to follow the news because it's full of shit and untrustworthy, but this time I needed to know what was going on around me. I wanted to know if Gene was found, or if he was still roaming the streets of my beloved but now seemingly ominous and dark city. I went to my local news app, and there was a story on Renee. But the news anchor in the previously recorded video was speaking about another similar case that happened earlier in the year in a nearby city. The middle-aged, red-headed news anchor described the horrific details of the murder of a young female whose name was Allie Forrester. Allie was found also with no skin, dumped in a random location, no brain in her skull, wrapped in cellophane, and had a smiley face drawn where her face once was. And then they showed a picture of Allie. The picture showed Allie sitting outside a cafe. And the sunlight shined brightly on her. She was a beautiful girl. Long, dark hair that rested just above her shoulders. She had a smile that felt as though it shined from the heavens above. Her eyes were big, and they drowned in blue. Her skin was like porcelain, and her face was covered in tiny freckles. And then I saw something that made my stomach turn into knots. I felt like I wanted to vomit again. I saw her wearing the same earring I found in the parking lot of the venue. I saw the cat in a glass sphere. And then I remembered I had seen Allie before. I had seen her at one of our shows. She was at the front singing along and having a great time and I remember Gene pointed her out to me because he wanted to sleep with her. I guess I must have imagined Renee wearing the earring because she shared some physical similarities to Allie. I paused the video on young, happy Allie. I had to take a breather. I needed to gather my thoughts. I closed my eyes, took in some deep breaths. When I opened my eyes, I became instantly paralyzed with shock. The paused frame revealed the tall, lanky guy standing inside the cafe, and from behind the glass, he was staring directly at Allie. He had the same look on his face I saw when he went off on Gene for touching his drums. And then I noticed it. I noticed a tattoo of a hummingbird on Allie's right outer thigh, and like a tidal wave, it hit me. It was the same hummingbird that I caught a glimpse of when I was holding the tall, lanky guy's custom-made snare before he snatched it out of my hands. It had all the same vivid colors. Blue, purple, and green. It was the same damn hummingbird. I then remembered what the tall, lanky guy said. Hey guys, please be careful with the drums. I really care about them. They are everything I have. I worked extremely hard to put this set together. These are one of a kind. 
I dropped my phone on the kitchen floor. I buried my face in my trembling hands and let out a cry of despair for Allie and Renee. My mind could not handle what I had just learned. The room became blurry. I felt dizzy. I felt my legs go weak and give out, and then total darkness swallowed me. My dreams were fragmented with visions of Kate, Renee, and Allie, and the disjointed images of cats and hummingbirds. My dreams transform into nightmares. I would come face to face with the tall, crazy, murderous, lanky guy, and I would run away from him. I ran as fast as I could, but no matter how hard I tried to get away, he was always behind me, watching me, waiting to skin me alive waiting to cut my skin off my body so he can stretch it over his custom-made drums. He would watch me calmly with his captivating hazel eyes. The same eyes that Renee and Allie stared into as the tall, crazy, murderous, lanky guy stole their last breath. In my horrifying nightmares, I ran through countless dark, narrow corridors as I searched for Kate who would call out for me in hope of being located. When I would get close to her voice, the sound of beating drums would drown her out. My heart pounded violently as I feared that I would never see her again. And then, everything went silent. The sound of something metallic being dragged on a rough surface ripped through the dark, silent world that my mind had created. I then heard the mother of my precious child scream my name in agony as her life was taken away. <laughs> 